Good morning, everyone. We're here in Chicago, the windy city, the sunny city, right next door to my friend, the Eagle, flying high, high above New York City there. It looks like a little cloudy day. How are you, Mr. Siegel, here on Office Hours? Thank you so much for having me. Never been better. You're right. It is a cloudy day, um, but but it's 95 and sunny in my mind. Let's have some fun today. We got some great guests on. Oh, my goodness. We always have great guests here, and uh, we certainly appreciate your time up. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out uh, what we are doing now. I'm in, I'm in Chicago, Craig, and, you know, there's uh, an interesting thing about building brands, which is fun for me. I uh, had a VIP experience at the Chicago White Sox game last night. We spoke to the management, spoke to the sales team. Um, but I had people that uh, are building their brand, <clears throat> but they're where you were, you know, maybe a year or two ago. And, uh, you know, exceptional people. And it was so much fun for me because, you know, people used to come to me and say, hey, you know, I want the David Meltzer package, right? Like, I, I, I want to do what you did. <clears throat> and now they come to me and they say, hey, give me the Craig Siegel package. <laughs> right they, they you're where it, you can see step by step and uh as you know community building i don't even call it brand building because i think it gives the the wrong perception of an ego-based uh economic gain of you know building your brand uh what it's really about is building a community a community of people a neighborhood of people that have the fre same frequency as you um you know, what tips, if you were there last night, you know, we had some extraordinary people uh, giving tips about community building. We had the vice president of the White Sox, you know, Sean Dill, who you know. Um, what advice would you give to that person that, you know, is a lawyer uh, wanting to build their brand, starting, you know, maybe has five or 10,000 uh, people semi in their community, what they call followers. You know, yeah. what, what are some of the things looking backwards that you feel uh you know resonated with you that you learned um or you know even more importantly uh that you shouldn't do yeah where do i begin right um yeah. and you know for me when i first started this i didn't have much going on but i did understand uh the significance of building a community just to be clear for everyone listening today there's a big difference between an audience and a community and a community is much more intimate, loyal, and engaging. Now, how do you build that? You know, two things. Number one, consistency and committed to showing up, to being authentic, to putting yourself out there so people have an opportunity to see what you're up to and, and binge and sink their teeth into your stuff. And then number two, most importantly, this is where I see everybody stumble, is going that extra mile and then even further, the empty mile, Dave, which you taught me, right? And what that meant to me in the beginning was when I first started putting out content, I would stay up to one, two in the morning, sometimes at the beginning of the pandemic, responding back to every single person that was gracious enough to comment on my content because I wanted to build that human, personal, intimate connection. Obviously, I can't do that today, but that went a long way in building a loyal, engaged community, like a fan base, like the rider dies and so forth. And when you have that, no matter what you do, if you want to reinvent yourself or go to a different industry, you're always going to have that baked in. So be intimate with them, follow up with them, 
and serve them. And obviously, most importantly, continue to add value to them. Yeah. And I will say those were, you know, two key components. I will say that I also see people falling down on just being consistent. You know, they lie to themselves. Yeah. And they, and they lie to others. They, they think they're consistent, but quantitatively, you can see someone that's consistent or not. You know, someone that says, you know, I, I post every day. Now, showing up is obviously important and how you show up is important. Like you said, are you responding to comments? And uh, it is an interesting thing because we're getting into, in our coaching, that kind of next chapter of teaching you how can you stay intimate with millions of people, not just thousands. Um, We're going to bring on our our first guest here, uh, and we are excited to have him. Christopher is in the house, Christopher Day. They call him Toph. Uh, CEO of Elevate Ventures and the Chief Visionary Officer of Rally Innovation. You can catch them at elevateventures.com or rallyinnovation.com. Welcome to Office Hours, Chris. Good morning, Chris. Oh, mute. We got to unmute him. Okay. Oh, there we go. Sorry about that, guys. There he is. My Hello, David. Time. Hello, Craig. Good morning. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's Toph. Toph. Oh, thank you. There you yep. go. So, uh, you know, it's so much fun because you obviously, as a chief visionary, you manage a lot of people, get into a lot of businesses. And, you know, as much as we want to be prepared, uh, I always laugh because I have my team give me a pronunciation, you know, in, in the side. <laughs> and I'm always laughing when I'm like, why do I go through this if they're just going to give me the wrong one? Uh, so Toph, we should have a hard O there. Um, what, what is the nickname for? So, uh, I never went by Chris growing up in, um, and people wanted the basketball, right. They used to say my last name, which is day. And then in college that changed to, uh, people would say Chris and I wouldn't pass the ball. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> so, it turned to Toph. I like it. All right. Good. It's always a great story. No. Um, you guys are putting on the largest global cross-sector innovation conference in August in uh, one of my favorite cities, Indy, and that's August 29th through 31st. Um, innovation or entrepreneurship and the combination thereof, I think, are what's going to save the world. In fact, you know, I tiptoe around the issue of sustainability saying I am so for everyone utilizing sustainable practices, but only for one reason not to save the world itself, because I think we're far past that with plastic alone. Uh, But more importantly, I think if we can slow down uh, and utilize sustainable practices, we're going to give people like you at Elevate uh, with Rally Innovation time to allow the entrepreneur, entrepreneur, not the sustainable practices, to save the world. So it's a combination of, hey, let's slow down destroying the earth so we can give the geniuses time to figure out how do we, you know, fill up the hole in the atmosphere? How do we convert plastic to food? You know, all the cool things that uh, innovators can do today. So uh, what is the, is you have this cross-sector innovation conference, what is the overarching purpose of putting all these great innovators together in Indy on August 29th through 31st? Yes, I love it. Thank you, David. So the overarching uh, purpose of Rally is to enable creative collisions cross sector. So if I go back 27 years, eight companies, seven sectors, what I've come to realize is that working with people outside of your circle, outside of your vertical, outside of your sector, 
that's where the magic happens. And so there's just no such thing as verticals anymore. If you're, if you're building something in sports tech or clean tech or whatever it may be, you need expertise from across the board, right? Whether it's mechanical engineers or, uh, you know, biology or, or whatever it might be. All kinds of skill sets are needed to bring this stuff to fruition. And so that's why we created Rally. Um, so you're, you're mentioning clean tech, for example. We, we received 450 pitch applications from 38 countries. And some of those pitch applications that caught my eye are people, uh, you know, using mushrooms to make cardboard, people using coffee grounds to make black plastic. There's, there is so much innovation occurring across the board in all industries in, in creating an event or a festival, a conference, whatever. Some people want to use different words, but creating that space, that opportunity for people to come together and enable you know opportunities for them to meet folks outside of their circle that they wouldn't normally have met before yeah great. great yeah i absolutely love this i just love i love the names right rally innovation um and i'm just curious to step into something like this and to really get this going and build this there's got to be a really 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 strong why or something that really clicked in you that like this is my mission i'm going all in in this and that's just that and I'm just curious, I'm sure the listeners are too. What was that for you? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So it's a concept called the productivity boom. So this is not my concept. Global economists talk about this, this productivity boom, the coming productivity boom. And I would say it's upon us and has been for at least five, if not seven or 10 years. And it's a global phenomenon. And it's believed that the epicenter of the productivity boom is going to occur in the middle quarter of the United States. And it's believed it's going to occur in the middle corridor, mainly because of the proximity of industries with one another and cost structure. And so if all of that's true, then, then we need to stand up and accept right this new responsibility that we might be a real catalyst or epicenter for that. And so we thought, what place better to launch this than in Indianapolis? Yeah, no doubt. And then the last mile and the first mile side of things, which is why I think that productivity boom uh, especially considering AI and the impact it has on the first mile, the first minute, the first month, and the last mile itself. And when you're in the central corridor, uh, the proximity factor, even though people are working virtually, is extremely valuable in that first mile, first minute, first month, or the last mile. Um, now, you and I have some synergies, and uh, I absolutely want to integrate uh, you, and maybe we can formulate. I have a two-minute drill pitch show on Apple TV, and we'd love to have a, a rally innovation episode from your event, taking maybe the top six people. You do give what five million in cash in prize uh, pitch competition, uh, and you know a whole bunch of different sessions and speakers. So hopefully you'll be including Craig Siegel and I. We we definitely want to come speak there. Um, but you know, funding these things are you know extremely expensive. I'm going up to Collision to keynote that with Craig. Uh, next week, Web Summit has been putting on big conferences like this. Um, you know, how do you feel economically the best use of funds at these events? Um, I come from you know a cross sector background of legal, tech, fundraising, media, sports, entertainment. You know, I don't even know what I do now. What you would call it, but. You know, if you're given $5 million in cash, I've never seen this before. How are you creating that, that type of capital? 
Yep. Yeah. Great question. It's so it is one of the world's largest pitch competitions. And if people go to rallyinnovation.com under the one-on-one or excuse me, under the pitch competitions, they'll see all the rules and criteria. And so how we have it set up is um, that we're requiring a one-to-one match. And so that one-to-one match could come through other investors that they might have soft circled um, or investors that we co-invest with that we can also bring to the table. So what's always great when someone's starting a company or if they're growing a company is it's wonderful to have three, four, five, six, seven checkbooks sitting around the table, right? To help that company get their initial capital or the follow on capital, hit that next milestone or two, follow on with some additional capital. And, and I like to call it just stair-stepping, right? Stair-step it, the growth of the business in a very responsible way. Don't put, you know, un, uh, unrealistic expectations on the founder to grow at some rate at some point in time that may not, they may not have product market fit yet. They may need to back up and fix something in whatever product it is they're building that they made a mistake on. Right. Or the, the famous pivot, which I never really liked that word. I, I think a, a great entrepreneur in essence, you're pivoting every single day. Right. I call you, I call it expansion trope. Uh, yeah. Right. It's if you think in the you know mindset of I'm expanding, then there's no transition and no pivot. It's just, I'm taking all the dummy tax from yesterday and I'm pouring it into tomorrow. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's a hundred percent right. So we have, so elevate ventures. We're the number one, most active VC um, in early and seed stage in the great lakes region, number five in the U S number 12 in the world. And so we have um, over 2,500 other investors that we've co-invested with over the last 10 years. And so, and they're from all sectors, right? We're a cross-sector investor. And um, so it puts us in a really unique position uh, to help you know, bring people to bear to, uh, so an entrepreneur can actually realize that dream of whatever that new innovation is. Yeah, I love it. You, you're wearing a lot of different hats. You have so much going on. Um, uh, where, where are you taking this thing? Like, like what's the vision when you think about a couple of years out? And I imagine you're a really big thinker. That's obvious. Where do you see this thing going? Yep. So the, the vision for Rally is, is to build, we are going to build the world's largest cross-sector innovation conference. That, that we're going to do it. Um, and if we look out five and 10 years, we would love for um, this conference to have 100,000, 200,000 people converging once a year. Um, you know, and that might end up being over one week or two weeks. Um, but, but having it be the, the pinnacle, the place where people come together for breakthroughs in relationships, whether that's a major customer, whether that's a partnership with another, cust- uh, with another company, um, whether that be funding, um, investment bankers. Uh, like we always have these investor one-on-one meetups. Why don't we have investment banker one-on-one meetups? Why don't we have M&A, legal counsel meetups? Right. These are very important relationships, right, from legal counsel standpoint, investment banking to be not that you're spending 80 percent of your time from day one on that. But you should be developing those relationships over time as you grow your business so that when it comes time to take action to whether you're going to act, exit or whether you're going to acquire someone else, that you've got really good people around the table to help you execute those things. Dave, you hear the conviction in his voice. Who would doubt him? Yeah, well, it's OK. I'm super excited. Uh to be a part of this. Yeah, I think there's so many synergies between what we have going on uh, on the media side of things, but also in the relationship capital of 
bringing in uh, great family office funds, uh, bankers, of course, incredible speakers like Craig Siegel, the Eagle. If you haven't heard him speak, go online. He may actually motivate or inspire people uh, in that space. But Toph, uh, I will have my team reach out. We have other shows as well to promote. Uh, you are so aligned with my perspective or mission of empowering others to empower others uh, to be happy by making a lot of money, helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun and 200,000 people in Indy uh, for a week uh, to help change America and save the world seems something that I'm completely aligned with. And so whatever I can do, and my uh, little Robin over there, I should say the Eagle, uh, we'd love to be a part of this. So we'll have our team reach out. We'll have you back onto other shows. We'll coordinate. We're, we're, we're filming right here in a couple of weeks this season. So we're going to chart you in for next season uh, of Two Minute Drill. We're going to have an entire uh, rally innovation episode on Apple TV with the six best pitches uh, that we can aggregate. It'll be incredible. Maybe we can coordinate in August as well to promote that, that they win that prize as well to get to be on Apple TV uh, where they get that exposure. So, uh, Toph, and I got that right, Christopher, which you don't reply to. Toph Day, give me the ball. That's all I want, buddy. Thank you for everything that you do. Toph, thank, thank you so, you so much, much for having me. Great to meet you guys. You got it, Take man. Care. I'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. What a great job. You know, yeah. it, it, here's what's amazing of the size, scope, and scale of the options, opportunities, and touches of favor, Craig, right? Like you and I are two of the most consistent guys. We're out there every day. And I had no clue this even existed, right? Like it's, that's, this is a huge vision aligned completely with what we're doing, right? Mentoring, speaking, media, pitch competition, right? I got elevator pitch, two minute drill. You would think like, David Meltzer would know and be already be involved in this, you know, coming up in August. But yet there's more of these things out there that are changing the world to the positive progress that we're looking for. Um, I, I've been dying for this next guest. I'm so glad uh, that she made it because uh, it's actually for reverse uh, psychology um, because she's written this book that applies to me. Laura Crenshaw is here. And I know a uh, Crawshaw, sorry, I'm a name butcher today. My team, That's all right. it is Crawshaw, uh, psychotherapist, which is why I wanted her here, executive yeah. coach, researcher. Um, she's also a former corporate executive, like I'm a former recovering lawyer. She has <laughs> boss whispering, bosswhispering.com. Uh, she has written a book that is so poignant today as a leader. And, and I think both sides, whether you are the boss, or you are uh, the person who works with a boss. Um, you need to grow your spine and manage abrasive leadership behavior. This is a guide, uh, Craig, and, and you'll see this in my coaching approach, Craig, because you, you've been bullied by me. A guide for those who manage bosses who bully. Laura right. Crawshaw, thank you for coming to help me at the very least here on Office Hours. Thank David, you. it's an honor. Thank you so much. All right, here, here's my issue. Okay. Um, I read Marshall Thurber as a young executive, uh, social deviance, the concept of perturbation. Uh, I believe, you know, to be a leader, you have to be a great mentor. You have to yep. say, hey, you want to get where I am? Here's the, here's the directions. You have to be a great teacher, uh, which means you have to be able to actually explain what you do. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. then here, here's the hard one. And this is where I think I need help. Um, okay. bringing the best out of people. Um, I have found success in moments perturbating people, which can be considered bullying. 
right? I, I, I want to, you know, disrupt, make you uncomfortable, push you, uh, you know, the, and maybe I'm old school and I got some things to unlearn, but that Vince Lombardi, the John Wooden, like get off your ass and let's make some things happen. And when I utilize out of love, even with my own children, not just the children that work with me, my own right. children, I get called sometimes or I can see it in their eyes. You're a bully. Why are you being so mean to me when I'm trying to, and sometimes I want more for them than they want for themselves, but how do I reconcile being a bully compared to out of love, wanting to get the best out of my employees and my family? Okay. In my view, being a bully uh, sort of implies the intent to harm. Okay. And I don't think you intend to harm people. And I suspect (laughs) that, they pick up on that, that you you're you're pushing them because you love them, you believe in them. And as a result, I don't necessarily think that people who've been subjected to that uh, uh, carry deep wounds. Good. Good. Am well, I correct? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. With that yeah. intention. Um, and and I don't I tiptoe sometimes because I don't, especially with my family members. You have three daughters, entrepreneurial yeah. daughters, and I want to push yeah. them. Uh, I, I was pushed out of necessity and they don't have the necessity. <laughs> you know, I was joking around. I'm like, who here grew up poor? You know, half the people ra- raised their hand. I said, I feel sorry right. for the rest of you. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but you do give a step by step guidance on how to, you know, determine one is this out of love or is this out of malintent, right. abrasive right. leadership? So, and, you know, and unfortunately, unfortunately, if, you know, most times people experience being barked at, bitten at work, if I can use barking and biting, whatever, <laughs> uh, they experience it as an assault, uh, an assault on their being. And so it can leave deep wounds. I tend to call this abrasive behavior. I don't like to call people bullies. I think it's kind of rude. And in my coaching abrasive leaders for 35 years, what I found over and over again to my shock was that the vast majority did not intend to harm people. And they were clueless to the fact that they were harming people. So when I would interview their coworkers and bring them feedback, they'd go into shock. They'd say, I don't mean to hurt people. That's not my intent. I'm just trying to get the job done. So the task in coaching these, and that's how I got the name, the boss whisper was helping them understand that they're how they're perceived and to turn those negative perceptions into positive perceptions. So, um, you know, my, your mission is to empower. I like your mission over a billion people to be happy and my i share that mission and and i'm pursuing it by trying to stop the suffering that is caused by workplace bullying and it's it's a it's a sad scenario when when bosses go to work and they're you know flogging people to get the job done and they may have grown up in homes where they were treated badly um you know or or they're just kind of clueless and they do tremendous damage i mean tremendous trauma uh to the the people that uh, are affected so that's that's the focus of my work and what i found david is that um their leaders their superiors tend to do nothing about it they don't step in. They don't say, look, we can't have people feeling disrespected and, and you know, uh, assaulted here. We have to have a place where people can come to work and be kind of calm and feel respected. And so that's why I wrote my book, because they need to grow a management backbone. Uh, 
and they need to manage not only the performance of those below them, but also the conduct. So that's my, that's, I'm on my mission, just like you. Well, I'm glad I have you here. And uh, Craig Siegel has suffered the love of David Meltzer as I've been a coach of his for a few years now. And, you know, he has performed at a high level, but we have a relationship where he communicates if sometimes uh, I say something that hurts his feelings. He's comfortable yep. saying, "Hey, I just have to tell you, Dave, what what you just said hurt yep. my fe- hurt my feelings, yep. and that wasn't my intent." And then we get over it quickly. Craig, I'd love to get some insight and questions from you because you're right in that middle. You coach people, and you're coached. Yeah. First of all, Laura, it's great to connect to you. I love this whole topic, and I think it's so interesting. And one of the really cool things about your book, I, I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, but it not only showcases like how you can manage people a little bit better and, and help them perform. And obviously it's a case by case basis because not everyone right. responds to the same stuff. But also I, I have a feeling that like to be coachable and how you can maybe mold yourself to receive knowledge and so forth. And it goes both ways, right? Well, that's the challenge, which is I also discovered that most abrasive leaders, most bosses who engage in bullying behaviors, they don't see themselves that way. And so when their superiors say, look, we're getting a lot of complaints about you, people feel they're treated disrespectfully, they tend to get very defensive. Not me. It's my people. It's not me. I'm just, you know, I'm just there to get the job done. And so they tend not to see themselves as engaging in bullying behaviors. And what has to happen is their superiors have to intervene. They have to say, look, Craig, we're getting a lot of complaints about you. I value you. You're great, great value to me. But this can't continue because it's doing the organization damage, but it's doing you damage. Okay, people are all focused on how you're treating them, not on your objectives. And so that's why I wrote the book, because their superiors have to step in uh, because generally abrasive leaders don't perceive themselves to be that way. They're like, no, you know, it's not me. It's my lazy employees or my incompetent coworkers or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and Laura, you bring up a really interesting point because I have one of my top executives uh, and he reminds me of myself when I was young because I was a leader yep. in my 20s. Um, the unfortunate part of being above those leaders is that usually they're the ones who are the most engaged, the most productive, right? Because right. they care so much. That's and right. Then, and it makes it really difficult uh, as a leader to step in. And it took me years of maturation to stick up for the, the employees and not buy into the bullshit that it's all them. They're lazy because, you know, they bring up valid points, but it, it's the same as a marriage to me. When I started yeah. looking for what I wanted in my wife, it was amazing how much better my wife, my, my life and my wife and my marriage got. Instead yeah. of you left the shoes on the on the staircase again, and that was a ruining of my marriage action compared to like what a gorgeous, wonderful, beautiful soul she is. Like all the mm-hmm. things I think of her, it was the shoes on the stairs that I was looking for when I got home, not like this incredible woman that I was so lucky to be married for. And when I started <laughs> taking that perspective, and I think that's part of it. I do want to ask one question, though, because sure. not to age you and I. Unlike Craig, he's a baby boy. Um, 35 years, 35 years. Yeah. Uh, there's been some changes in the sensitivity of employees. Absolutely. How, how has that 
you know, played into because, you know, part of my problem is to unlearn certain things because, you know, when you're 12 years old and it was okay for a football coach to grab your face mask, shake you by your head laterally, which damages your brain, by the way, and call you the P word. And the, mm-hmm. and the parents on the sideline laughed and accepted yeah, it. Yeah, and thought this, that was, you know, great character development. Right. This is hard <laughs> to unlearn when you're 55 years old and you're trying to somehow virtually shake their face mask and call them the P word to get uh-huh. them fired up the way that that right. fired you up. Right, right. Well, you know, you're right. Things have changed and the concept of motivation has changed, but... I I think the bottom line is that if we pay attention to how we're perceived, if we welcome feedback, such as you said with Craig, Craig, Greg understands that if you do or say something that is offensive to him, that he can give you that feedback and you listen to it, you care about his input. So I think one thing that it's really important to pay attention to how we're perceived, to ask for feedback. I think the great leaders say, look, on an annual basis, I want you to, let's do a climate survey. How do you feel you're being treated here in this organization? You know, what what's going well, what's not? And to really pay attention to that and listen to that. Because if you have, if you have employees who are who can come to work and feel like, all right, I all I have to focus on is the job. I don't have to worry about being treated badly. Boy, you have a powerful workforce and you have loyal employees. So I'd say pay attention to the feedback. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Want to bring it home, Craig? I got to give the Craig uh, hand motion. This is what he does when he lands the plane. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say one of the reasons why I love being here on this show is because I'm always learning, always yep. learning. And something that I just took a nugget is that I need to be better at and I'm aware is asking for feedback. Well, even just yeah. like the, even just like with our community, Dave, right? Like, what are you guys liking? What do you guys want more of? Did you like these guest speakers and so forth? Because like that's the best data there is, right? It is straight from them and so forth. And I'm just curious, based upon your experience with, with this particular topic for so many years and so forth, what is one thing that sticks out maybe above the rest that that contributes to abrasive behavior from some of the bosses? A feeling of insecurity. Um, the thing is, you know, we all want to be perceived as competent, right? I mean, sure. But if anything threatens that, most of us if anybody argues with me or pushes back or says, no, you don't know what you're talking about, because I'm pretty confident in, in my knowledge and background, I, I can stay calm and not get defensive. But what I find over and over again with abrasive leaders that if anybody challenges or threatens their competence in any way, shape or form, it shakes them up. And they get defensive. And what are the big defenses? Fight or flight, right? Well, they go into fight mode. They start barking. They start biting. And uh, you'll see the leaders can be very reactive, reactionary. Um, you know, they they don't, they, they just have this kind of gut fight reaction. And so I would say it tends to be insecurity. And uh, also they're, they're not terribly empathic people. You know, they're kind of focused on the job and all this touchy-feely stuff and and why waste time on feelings? And so the coaching, uh, you know, that that the coaching method I developed for these individuals helps them kind of look, number one, 
understand what are the negative perceptions, understand what's causing them, what am I doing or saying that causes them, and then thirdly, how can I achieve my objectives without uh, alienating everybody? And so it tends to be leaders who who they're not evil people. They're not fire-breathing dragons. They don't wake up in the morning calculating how to torment uh, their employees, but they get shook up easily and they react and go into fight mode. So, and to help them see that, and they're like, oh, I, I got to do this differently. So. I'm buying multiple copies of this today, thebosswhispering.com, not just for myself, uh, because I would love the insight on how to be a better leader, but more importantly, yeah. even I have one particular executive uh, that is working on this right now and has a coach for this right now. But I think this is one of the greatest quantitative values. Uh, if you are a leader of a company, quantitatively, right. it, this will allow for engagement and productivity, accessibility, and gratitude in the organization. Uh, so for just a tiny investment, you want to buy, grow your spine, and manage abrasive leadership behavior. It's a terrific guide for those who manage bosses who bully Thank uh, you, David. or perceive that as well. So it's not just if you're actually bullying, it's the perception. Of yep. what the Perceptions are powerful. Yeah, we participate in them and uh, we give meaning to everything we see. So uh, what a, I'm so glad you made it and Thank we will you. have you back. This is a very important, when it comes to recruitment, retention, uh, yep. just so many critical business issues are tied into the boss whispering concept. So go to bosswhispering.com, get yourself a copy. I promise you, uh, talk about 10x value and return on investment. This is one of those quantitative, very practical step-by-step -step guidance uh, yes. on changing the entire organization from the bottom up, uh, which is really important. Thank you, Laura Crosshaw. I'm over two on screwing up names today, but I uh, always am vulnerable. You did great, that. David. <laughs> you got Thank it. You. Please come back and join me. Okay, Laura, we'll do. Thank Laura, you. I, I was Thank so you. moved by what you're up to. Thank nice you. Nice to meet keep, you too, Craig. Keep up yes. the great work. Thank you. Okay, keep up Thank the good work. You. Thank you. She's on my mission with me, empowering people to make a lot of money, help a lot of people, and have a lot of fun. All right, we are moving to our cleanup hitter, the film director himself. Since I'm 0 for 2 on names, I'm going to try to be 1 for 3, which in baseball puts me in the all-star game, Craig. So we got Thomas Verrett here. Is that right? Uh, Verretti, close. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> how, how do you say it? Verretti. Wait, hold on. Verretti. Verretti? Verretti, like, like spaghetti, but <laughs> it's time to die. It doesn't matter. Oh, guys, all right, nice to me. It matters to me and it matters to my team because it uh, looks like they're uh, tossing spaghetti against the wall with the pronunciation guidance that they're giving me. Uh, Skylightcinema.com, uh, Zero Gravity, Zero Gravity uh, the documentary, uh, to me, um, is once again, just like Laura, uh, helping us raise awareness um, to a different way to look at things. And so, Thomas, you know, as every great film director... Uh, they have a vision and uh, they have different ways of telling the stories and teaching the lessons. Uh, you know, what is the lessons that you want to tell uh, with this international space station story? Uh, it's a great question. Um, I mean, for those who don't know, Zero Gravity is the story of a group of middle school students in San Jose, California, who compete in a NASA competition to code satellites aboard the International Space Station. Um, 
what's I uh, my vision for the film uh, was to tell as much of it as possible through the perspectives of these 10 and 11 year olds. I kind of wanted to see what the world looked like uh, through their eyes when space is so attainable to them and what that mindset and worldview and, and just that perspective, what that does to their confidence um, and where they're going, uh, you know, even after uh, the story in the, in the film and, and kind of what has transpired since then. It's really been uh, quite amazing to see not just, um, of course, the kids in the film and what they've, what they've done and what they accomplished uh, during the narrative and since then, but actually how uh, much their story has in influenced and inspired um, not just students their own age, but other parents, other teachers, other educators. It's, it's, the film's kind of taken on a little bit of a life of its own in a way that I'm incredibly grateful for because for me, it just started as a personal need. And to see that um, kind of become something much greater than even I intended it. Um, I mean, of course, I always wanted it to, to grow and inspire uh, more people. But, but to see that actually happen and to see those kids be the vessel of the of of that inspiration for others and to kind of for lack of a better word trickle down that inspiration to the next generation that's following in their footsteps has really been um you know a wonderful thing to see yeah i i love this um I, i'm a movie nerd so to speak i i love movies i love documentaries i'm fascinated with this stuff uh, so i love what you do and i'm genuinely a fan and i'm just curious for this specific topic why did you gravitate, no pun intended, uh, towards this and, and really put all your passion into this specific project? Um, so for me, it all start. I, I've always had a, a just like a, a natural love of space and all things um, about the universe, the philosophy of it, the, the, the big questions like where we are, why are we here? Mm. Um, why are we so small in this infinite space even? Um, you know, where that puts our perspective and what we can do with that information is kind of where I start with a lot of my projects. Um, this film, though, it, in a way, I was just fascinated with the fact that kids were, um, were participating in space at such a young age. It seemed a little bit like science fiction to me at the time. Uh, and I kind of wanted to just see how it was even remotely possible. That instinct uh just kind of jumping in and seeing what would happen is really what what created the uh the film and and, and the story around it i mean those those you know it's a documentary so I, it's it's all happening in front of you and you're just basically doing the best job you can to be at the right place at the right time always to capture these these moments that are happening in front of you um and so again when, it, when you're talking about kids and science and space and astronauts and kind of earth even like, you know, I mean, it goes into climate change and sort of other environmental concerns that the kids have and their own futures. It just puts a perspective um, or it, it illuminates a new perspective for you that um, was really profound for me as a filmmaker. And I kind of had to just do that story justice. That's really uh, how it all happened. But, it, you know, the inception of it was, I can't believe these kids are coding satellites in space. Uh, the narrative of the film is that they're, um, they are participating um, with the Sphere satellites aboard the space station, which are being used uh, to build a, um, you know, a, a, a GPS system around Mars for future human exploration and robotic exploration. So tying all these big, massive ideas together and allowing students um, to participate in that and feel like they're, they're, they're really 
uh, reaching beyond this world to, to kind of craft their own future was something that was um, just, you know, addicting. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, I love that you, you, when I think of you, I think of the word curious, and that's a great trait to have. Dave, take it away. Yeah, no, you know, one of the things that I uh, drew from the documentary was a concept that's so interesting today, and I'm encouraging a lot of kids uh, with this concept. You know, it's the first time in history that our technology exceeds our expectation or our imagination. You know, even for, for me, I, I flew back from Europe and I was a little bit disappointed in my team that scheduled a meeting right off of uh, global entry to see Singer uh, vehicle uh, manufacturing, C-Z-I-N-G-E-R. And it's the first 3D printed luxury uh, car, which broke the time trial by six seconds, not 0.6 seconds. Um, and they have a 3D printing cell, which is like a half of a football field. So it's not like when people think of 3D printing, at least I was thinking like there's a printer, you know, like it's extraordinary. But when, I, you know, disappointed that they scheduled this meeting right after I landed from a 14 hour flight, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life because it proved that technology exceeded my imagination. It was more than the movie showed me. It exceeded almost everyone's expectations. They've raised $600 million. I still can't get over what I saw. And the message that I got from your documentary, why I think so many people, whether your parents or children should watch it, is that you never can overachieve your own self-image. And here we are, you know, you're a film director, your own self-image of them and their the image you put onto them is they're they're exceeding your expectation of, of the, their imaginations. Uh, and, you know, that's why film is so important to me is they, they are always pushing us to expand, not just curiosity, Craig, but our imaginations. Now you were deep in the woods in this, uh, you know, is there something you can share with us from the movie, you know, that blew you away that exceeded your imagination when you're watching these students from San Jose you know, coding future exploration to Mars. Yeah, um, you know, I think that the the um, the moment that it really struck me, and you know, like we have a very divided world right now, obviously, um, especially in in the country. You know, with what's going on and has been for the last couple of years. One of the things that that really struck me when I was making the film is that you know. The, the, the group of kids, they're from all over the place. Um, you know, there's there's Mexican immigrant kids, there's Indian immigrants, there there's, you know, just, it's, it's a very diverse group of students. And watching them all work together in ways that they didn't even think about race, they didn't think about where they were coming from, they didn't think about, like, who had what. And it was all about making friends, and it, and it was in a, such an innocent part of their lives before they, they kind of, get swallowed up by the world in a way that it was just something that I couldn't let, like, let go. It, rem it just was, it was kind of like the idealistic perspective that you, we all hope and dream for in this world uh, today. And I was seeing it happen and being cultivated in a classroom and where that might go and where that might take all these kids. And if that is something that can be, um, can be like cultivated and, 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 um, and celebrated, it, it, it just makes the world more accessible, more, more, more opportunities for, for, for all and more competition in a way that makes and, and powers uh, kind of more innovation. So all of those things is kind of 
you know, that to wrap it all up, that 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 moment in the classroom where I just saw all these kids working together without thinking about any of those those uh, kind of adult problems that we seem to like be constantly barraged with um, was something that that uh, I'll never forget. It was really inspiring. You are inspiring and skylightcinema.com. Working people see, view, enjoy zero gravity. Uh, great question. Thank you for asking. Zero gravity um, is available on iTunes, Apple TV, and Amazon, as well as Vimeo on demand. Um, you can you can check that out either by going to those sites directly and searching for the film Zero Gravity or going to zerogravitydoc.com. That's zerogravitydoc.com. Thank you so much, Thomas. I am going to go back and watch it one more time with new perspective of the film director himself. Uh, please come and join us. Everyone, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. No better way than to watch extraordinary documentaries that are so accessible today, like Zero Gravity. Thanks for joining us, Thomas, here on Office Hours. Thomas, Thank love you. your work. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You got it, man. Thank you. Three extraordinary guests, and uh, I have one extraordinary Siegel, the co-host, joining me here. Thank you so much, Craig. Uh, did an extraordinary job as usual. What is your takeaway for the day? I like them all, obviously, as, as usual. But one that stuck out to me, Dave, was Laura. I, I love the work that she's doing. I was fascinated by it. I love to learn as well. I'm going to start implementing more feedback and, and collecting data. And I just love the mission that she's on. And I think it's applicable for, for, for everybody, really, in, in the workplace. So, so that really stuck out to me. Yeah, you know, what stuck out to me is this idea of, you know, make sure we're challenging ourselves to think bigger, to dream bigger, to, you know, expand our imaginations far beyond technology. And I think looking at first the innovation that's inspired by Elevate Ventures and Rally Innovation and the event that hopefully you and I will be keynoting in August 29th through 31st in Indianapolis. And then, of course, Laura when we're expanding our, our imagination that, wow, some even if we have the best intention, we may not be aligned with our intention, right? Intention is what we do, say, think, feel, and believe. It's not just what we think. Um, and so we have to look at what we're doing and saying and thinking and feeling and believing aligned with our intention. And then, of course, uh, the obvious of Thomas, you know, his entire documentary is based off of this idea of expanding our imaginations. I promise you, if you can't dream it, you can't see it, you can't be it. I know that's a different Napoleon Hill con uh, conversation and transformation. Uh, and uh, that's one thing that I always am impressed and admire about you, Craig, is you dream big, uh, you do big, you say big, you think big, and you believe big. And that's why you'll end up big. And I, like the first time I ever called you big, buddy. I was going to say bigger than my height, right? And I am now was proven on video <laughs> that Craig Siegel is actually the same size as I am. And I've been teasing him for years that he's smaller than me. But, uh, <laughs> I was wrong. He is 5'7". So am I. And, uh, you know, it's a great thing. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And there's no bigger fight than the one that exists in Craig Siegel. Thanks for joining me. Please be a co-host again. One last thing. The reinvention formula 
Go ahead and pre-order it. It's available on Amazon. Uh, an incredible book to reinvent or expand yourself. No transitions or pivots necessary. We are constantly re-engineering and re-innovating ourselves. Maybe we'll put Craig Siegel as a case study at the rally conference in August 29th through 31st uh, at the, there in Indianapolis. So, Craigie, I will see you soon as always. Thank you for being such a great friend and co-host. Thank you for having me. Love you. Have a great day. See you in Canada. We'll be, yes. we'll be up in Toronto. So come visit us. We got VIP dinner. We got a meetup. We got mentoring hours, master classes, speeches, and emceeing, pitch competitions. We will be there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of next week. Go ahead so you can get together with Craig and I, David, at the, he'll be featured at the VIP dinner. You'll be able to ask him questions. He'll be on uh, our panel as an expert uh, joining some big names like Baron Davis. He'll look really short next to him. But anyway, we'll move forward from there. We'll see you at Collision in Toronto next week. Can't wait. Love you. Love you. The incredible Craig Siegel, everyone. All right. We are today, just so you know, in Chicago at the Drake Hotel doing a meetup at noon central time. So come by, signing books, taking pictures, answering questions. That's what I do. If you can't make it, go ahead and email me. I'll mail you a book. I'll sign it, send it to you, pay for shipping and the book. Come join me at the Drake Hotel in Chicago today at noon central time. And then next week, we are up in Toronto, Canada at Collision. I'll be keynoting there. Masterclass, mentor hours, meetups, Q&A. Uh, come by. We have a, a podcast studio, booth, stages, and great VIP dinner. Come and join us. I got extra passes. You can get a dinner and a ticket to Collision. Come and join me at our Mastermind VIP dinner on Wednesday the 28th. Uh, we got our meetup on the 27th in front of the event at the Princess Gate, 11 Princesses Boulevard. It's posted right there. If it's confusing to you, please just email me directly, david at dmeltzer.com. Thank you, everyone. Remember, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. We'll see you today or next week in Canada. Thanks so much.